Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, verse 1 and 2. We read this before. Um, I'm talking about fasting. I'm using the same text uh, as before. Right? No, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, today. Uh, we thank you for, Lord, uh, uh, more than halfway through our fast, God. We have one more week. Uh, not that we're counting the days, Lord, uh, um, but we're just so grateful for strengthening us, God, uh, throughout this time. And, Lord, and we ask you now to come speak to us, Lord. God, we want to present to you, God, ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, I know living and sacrifice really don't go together. Lord, it's an oxymoron. Lord, because by nature, a sacrifice is dead. But, Lord, we are alive here living in this, in this world. And so would you teach us, God, what Paul is saying here. Teach us to be living sacrifices, Lord. Lord, dead men, dead women walking. Help us, God. And so, Lord, we know that that help, Lord, comes from the Spirit of God, comes from the Word of the Lord. And so we ask you right now to open our hearts, God, to your Word. To that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us, individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach a prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not to convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you, Lord. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 Uh, and so before I, I get into talking about fasting, I just want to take a moment. I want to talk about uh, Christianity, uh, particularly normative Christianity. What is normal Christianity? Um, and part of that kind of deals with kind of expectations. Uh, and when I sign up for this thing called Christianity, uh, what does the Lord expect from me in this way? And so we want to talk about uh, what, it, what we mean by the idea of being a Christian. Um, and we're really talking about three different aspects of this. So if you look on the screen, I'll just lay it out here. The first aspect is Christian theology. In other words, this is what we believe. As Christians, this is what we believe. It's very important for us to be united in this way that this is, we believe in this. We believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. We believe that, that no one goes to God, no one gets to heaven without uh, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is the only way. It's really important that, that what we believe aligns in this way. So that's called Christian theology. We need this. And then there's another aspect called Christian ethics. And so this is how Christians ought to live in relationship to one another. And so this is not just what we think. So it's not just a cognitive exercise. It's also about how we live our beliefs out. Remember last week we talked about this. We don't want to be a hypocrite. And so we don't want to be uh, uh, like that. And so this is uh, 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 Christian ethics, how Christians ought to live in relation to other people. And then there's another aspect called Christian praxis. The practice is what Christians do. As Christians, we are meant to love people. As Christians, we forgive people when we're wrong. As Christians, we, we do good works. Not because it saves us, 
But it's just because this is what Christians do. And so there's Christian theology, Christian ethics, and Christian practice. What Christians believe, what Christians ought to live in relation to others, and then what Christians do as individuals in this way. And, you know, other weeks and times, I've, I've often shared this, and this is the difference between Christian faith and Christian life. Right? Christian faith is what we believe is cognitive, but Christian life is the way that we live our life out. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just an academic or a mindful exercise, but Christianity, we say, should affect the way that we live our life. So, I'll ask this question. Who is a Christian? What is a Christian in this way? So, let me give you an example. Uh, this particular person, he, uh, he, when he came into government office, he banned secular education in his countries on the basis that Christian religious instruction is essential to moral development. That's what he said. When he came to office, he says, right, first of all, we're going to ban secular education, right, and predominantly because Christian religious instruction is essential to moral development. And most of us can say amen to that. Of course, that makes total sense. Uh, This person also, uh, he repeatedly vilified and he went after atheism. He actually outlawed atheism and other free-thinking groups. And afterwards, this is what he said. This is his quote. He says, We have therefore undertaken the fight against the atheistic movement, and not merely with a few theoretical declarations, we have stamped it out. And so, I mean, this, this person was passionate uh, for these things. In his, in his most well-known book, he wrote this. He says, only fools and criminals would think of abolishing existing religion. We would say amen to that, right? Amen? Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you already know who this is, so you're very afraid to say amen, right? Uh, in one of his famous letters in his book, he wrote, I am now as before a Catholic and will always remain so. Later on, he wrote, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people voluntarily submit to celibacy, obligated and bound by nothing except the injunction of the church. Should the same renunciation not be possible if this injunction is replaced by the admonition finally put an end to the constant and continuous original sin of racial poisoning? And to give the Almighty Creator beings such as He Himself created. Now you kind of get an idea who this is now, right? I'm talking about this is these quotes are from Adolf Hitler. Some of those quotes are directly from his book called Mein Kampf. Uh, we know is his it's his main uh, 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 text for his uh, diabolical um, uh, uh, um, uh, plan that he put into effect. So. Based on all these words and all these things he says, is Hitler a Christian? Is he a follower of Jesus Christ? <laughs> I'm a Catholic. I'll always be a Catholic, right? Is that, in other words, is just the words that we say or the things that we believe in our head, is that all it takes? <laughs> if you're confused by that, the answer is no, no. He's not a Christian, right? I mean, and, and, to be, and to be fair, most 
most historians that write about uh, uh, something related to his faith or something like this, they say that his faith was opportunistic. He, he basically used the church uh, in this way. But, but we're not here to talk about Hitler. Uh, but I think it proves a point, right? Saying you're a Christian is not the same as being a Christian in this way. It's so easy to put a label on ourselves, but it's something very different to actually live this thing out. You know, the early church, the early church really, really understood this. Uh, during, the, during the height of persecution, when, when, when even identifying yourself as a Christian meant a financial catastrophe for yourself. It meant a lot of ridicule and persecution, getting kicked out of the synagogue, and I mean, all kinds of different things. It was, it was really bad for you and bad for your family to identify yourself as a member of the church of Jesus Christ. And so early on, when, when they went about to identify who actually is a Christian, they would actually ask this question. And they remember Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so they started calling those who followed the Nazarene, they started calling it the way. Or just simply call the way. You can see, actually, there's some glimpses of that in the scriptures. And the early church, what they would do is when, when someone came and, and they thought, man, is this, is this my brother or sister in Christ? But then revealing it would be very difficult, and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't use Christian. In fact, Christian, the term Christian was used much later on in, in, remember, in Antioch, we read in the book of Acts. It happened a little bit later on, but early on they would ask this question. When they thought, maybe you are, maybe you're my brother in Christ, or say, maybe not, and they would say, and it was very particular the ways they said it. They said, they didn't ask, are you of the way? Are you a member of the way? They asked the question, are you on the way. So turn to your neighbor, say, hey, good looking, are you on the way? Think about it. Implicit in the question was not just that were you a part of a group of people. Do you identify yourself with a group of people? There was, there was more than that. It was more than simply identifying yourself. What it meant was, are you not only identified with this group called the way, but are you living the life? Are you on the way? Are you following Jesus? Not just identifying with him. Are you actually following this life that he, he showed himself to us, that he lived before us? Are you on the way? It was, a, it was actually a beautiful question that encompassed so much of, of what it means to be a Christian. Especially, can you imagine, especially during times of persecution. Not just the label, but are you walking the walk? Are you talking the talk, walking the walk? Are you living the life, the Christian way? See, this is what we call normative Christian behavior. We believe this is this normal Christian behavior. When we call ourselves Christian this is kind of the life that we live. And so then that's why we can identify someone like Hitler. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think that life really matches right, the life of Christ. It doesn't make any sense. And so there's something there that relates to that. And so in that way, we recognize, and, and I should say this, right, 
that there is something about our behavior that should be different. Are you on the way? Now, brothers and sisters, let's make it very, very clear to us. Right? So now I'm getting into good Christian theology here that we are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace. There's nothing that we do that actually we earn our, our, our salvation in this way. So we are saved by grace. But because we are saved, our behavior follows. Our behavior changes in this way. Now, I just say this as a precursor to talk about fasting, okay? And you'll see how this fits. Now, Jesus, he gives us insight in the book of Matthew, and he gives us insight on what he expects his followers to follow. And in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, after he goes to the Beatitudes, he touches uh, on the three pillars of, of our our Christian response in that way. And in Matthew 6, it's the famous when you passages. And this is what he says. He says, when you give, this is verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2. He says, when you pray, this is verse 5. And then in verse 16, it says, when you fast. This was Jesus' Christian expectation to his followers. He just assumed, uh, he just assumed that his followers would, would exercise their faith in this way. And he says he comes, and remember after, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you give. So he expected his followers to give. Brothers and sisters, if you are a, if you are a Christian, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you still yet do not give, right, that you don't tithe or, you know, give charity or something, then I think there's something wrong. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? Listen, I'm, I'm saying right now. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I think there's something going on in your, in your Christian faith, in your life that needs to be changed. Because he says, when you give, and then he says, when you pray. If you don't have a prayer life, I would say it's not, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I would say that there's probably something wrong with your relationship with God. There's something amiss going on there. And so it's something that needs to be corrected and changed in this way. And so he says, when you give, when you pray, and he concludes the last one, and when you fast. He just accepted that his followers would give themselves to this discipline of fasting. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 the second part says, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I know that he's talking about relationships here, but to me, this is the three strands of Christian uh, uh, behavior or Christian holiness. Or I mean, we can call it all different ways, is when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. This is normative Christian behavior. This is what Jesus expected from his followers in this way. It was just an expectation, giving, praying, and fasting. And when this happens in a Christian's life, right, it creates a kind of a three-chord strand that cannot easily be torn. There's something that strengthens us when we engage in these types of behaviors. Amen? Okay. Thanks, Matt. Everyone else tracking with me here? All right. Make sure. Because if, if you don't get that, it's going to be hard to, to, to get anything else that's here. 
And listen, and Jesus really did expect his, belie- his followers to fast. In Luke chapter 5, 33 and 35, when the disciples of John and the Pharisees accused his followers of not fasting, this is what he says. And this is, and they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And as far as I know, the bridegroom is still taken away from us. Right? So I think we're still supposed to fast. Right? This is what's happening. And so, so I want to talk about fasting, but, but kind of in a, a corporate way, and just kind of share a, a bit of, of why I fast. Why, why, why do I trouble my congregation every single year, right? Well, why, I mean, why do I, why do I go out of my way to make my congregation miserable, right, in a sort of speak, right? Miserable in your stomach, but alive everybody, everywhere else. But, but I mean, why, why couldn't, can't we just go through the year and, and just, you know, just be like everybody else. What's, what's, what's the problem? And why do I ask every year for my church to follow me as I follow Christ? And it's simple. I have four points today, okay? Number one, why? To feed the Lord. To feed the Lord. When we fast, not only are we leading our, our feeding ourselves, but we are feeding God. It's really, just think about, like, you know, because we're, I guess we're talking about food here. And so there's something there. Uh, Psalm 50, 12, he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Brothers and sisters, God does not need our empty routines, right? God does not savor our heartless activity. He does not want leftovers from us when he can really, really get fed elsewhere in this way. Our Lord deserves true worship. He deserves true sacrifice, right? He deserves our first, not our leftovers. You know, this is why I explained before that this is why we try to do this in the beginning of the year. We're giving God our first. There's something very precious in the scriptures in life about doing and giving the first. And that's why we do it. We want to give God our first. And, and, and for all intents and purposes in the scriptures, that means best. The first fruits meaning the best fruits uh, of all these things. He desires all of this. Fasting gives us the opportunity or the, to really, uh, to think about this, to minister to the Lord. In that way, to feed the Lord. And when we feed him, he feeds us in that way, right? Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. Number two, why? Right? To present my body as a living sacrifice. We talked about this a few, uh, about a month ago. Right, fasting is a seriously is a serious way of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
we read in Romans 12 earlier. The discipline of fasting will humble you, will remind you of your dependency on God, will really, will really uh, uh, do a deep number deep within us. Right? Something that I've been meditating on for, for the last few years. And, and every time during the fast, it just seems to come up over and over again. And it's simply this. The end of me is the beginning of God. The end of me is the beginning of God. The end of you is the beginning of God. That's where God does his deepest work in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. When I come to the end of myself, the end of my own strength, the end of my own will, the end of my own righteousness, or the end of my own abilities, the end of my own intellectual capacities, all those things, when they come to the end, this is where God begins His deep, deep work. Fasting helps me to recognize how much I need Him. It is a visible display of my limited abilities. I'll be honest with you, this year probably has probably been the most difficult year for me, fasting. And part of it is I'm actually eating a little bit, and, uh, which actually coincidentally makes it so much more difficult. Some of you guys know I had my gallbladder surgery, and so they removed my gallbladder. And, uh, and so after my surgery, for the next few months, it's very important uh, how my digestion works. And, and, and my body's adjusting to me. And so my doctor uh, told me in, in, uh, uh, you know, in the most clearest, clearest possible way, uh, don't fast. And I asked him, I says, hey, you know, and he says, no, don't do that. And so I've been having some soup, some uh, uh, thick soup. Um, and uh, it's really hard. It, it's really hard. I'll tell you, on multi-levels, one... When I'm eating soup, I'll be honest, I feel really guilty because I think about you guys, right, that are fasting, like real fasting, right? Not that, it, not, I should not say that. Not that if you're eating soup or something, that's not real fasting, <laughs> you know, but in my religious mind, right, that slipped out. Sorry about that. And so, but, but you, you know what I mean. This, and and it's, so it's been really, I, I do, I feel, I feel guilty. I'd be like, man, you know, and, but I have to... I have to care for my body in this way, and, and, uh, uh, and plus my doctor is going to get really upset with me. Uh, and, and, but but it's, 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 been, it's been difficult because I haven't felt the, the deep, weak, like physical weakness that I normally do uh, during this time. And so, I, I, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm over the guilt uh, because it's a blessing to fast, right? You know, the, the greater your commitment, the greater your sacrifice, the greater the blessing uh, that comes your way. You know, but with that said, it, there's, there's other things that, that come over this. And, and, I, and, you know, I mean, I want to I wanna, I wanna feel uh, weakness in this way. And, and, and because I'm not, uh, I, it's, it's, it, it's a little more difficult. I don't, know if, I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Um, but, but, I mean, that's just, that's, just, that's just where I'm at. And... In many ways, you know, I, I put this on the board, right? I not only fast to feel weak, but I fast because I am weak. And now there's just multiple ways that God has to lead me uh, to recognize this. To realize I need him so much uh, in my life. 
And so many times, like so many times we, we rely on our own strength. We rely on our own discipline. Right? But it really is the discipline of fasting uh, that really brings us and reminds us this place that we are weak. But when we are weak, then he is strong. And I hope that, that for us, this discipline, I hope it's not just during these 21 days. I hope that this becomes a common part of our life. And, and, it, and it's, it's true in my life. I mean, to be honest, I can't wait until my body fully recovers Right, so I can go before the Lord in this way, you know, uh, as an individual, but uh, you know, as a leader of this church, because uh, th- there's there's something I've never found anything in my life, and this is why maybe I push it so much, that actually brings this kind of laser focus, and I've, I really haven't uh, in so much in, in so many ways uh, found a discipline that really brings us, uh, brings me to uh, uh, such a deep place of humility. There, there's, there's just certain activities, and maybe you find this, uh, but there's something about this. For me, and I think for many of you as well who's been fasting with us through these years, that it, there's such a deep spiritual work uh, that takes place in our lives. And, uh, and I shared this story before. There was a, there was a, um, a, a pastor from Ohio that I met years ago, and, and, he, and he said this, and he said, and I'll never forget, and he says, and whenever he feels, he's like starting to feel like prideful, you know, that, he, that whenever he starts feeling like, like he's off spiritually in, in some way, and, and, and he couldn't really articulate, but, but I th- we have those feelings. We, we know that we get in these moments, and like, I don't know, there's just something a little amiss. And he says, uh, and he just simply says, in the trunk of his car, he just has this kit, and it's just a humble kit. This is kind of like, you know, humbling yourself before the Lord. And what he'll do, he'll go to a, a, a petrol station in the U.S., and he'll go into the bathroom, the restroom of a petrol station. If you've ever gone to a petrol station, a gas station in the United States, right, then, then you know what this guy's doing. And he goes in, and he has this kit. It's a bucket with some supplies and, you know, rubber gloves. And he goes in, and he cleans the bathroom. Right, the floors, the toilet, the whole thing, which is, again, American gas station restrooms, absolutely disgusting. Right, I mean, uh, probably COVID started there. Right, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy, and so, um, and and I mean, it's and and he goes and he says, and all he does is he goes, he cleans the toilets, he cleans the restroom, and while he prays in tongues, he just prays in the spirit, and he says it works every single time. Every single time, if he ever fought hot, if he felt haughty, right, if he ever felt full of himself or felt off, he just goes in, he got his humble kit, he goes into the, the, finds the dirtiest restroom, cleans it up, prays in the spirit, and he says he feels refreshed, and he's like connected with God once again. It's his humble kit. I don't know about you, I hope we all have some sort. My humble kit is simply fasting. There's just something about denying the, the legitimate pleasures of this world for the extreme pleasures of knowing God that does this. Uh, it works every time. When we fast, we recognize who is king. Is our flesh, our stomachs, or is it God? I want to dethrone my flesh. I want to dethrone, right, there in my stomach. 
uh, and enthrone Christ. I want to present my body as a living sacrifice. Think about this. How significant is this? Think about this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Esau, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Can you imagine that? How many of us right now would give up anything for a nice ribeye? <laughs> Sorry to mention food again, right? He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. His stomach, his flesh was king. Fasting allows us to dethrone our flesh and enthrone Christ in this way. So to present my body as a living sacrifice, number three, why do I do this? It's for community building. It's for community building. Like experience creates common ground. Like experience creates common ground. There's something as, as a Christians, you know, our praxis, this is something that we do, but something about a community, this is what we do together as a family. Right, we we are and and part of 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 being part of this family, right? The expectations of this particular family is that you're a part of a house church. An expectation of this family is that you would give to your church, right? An expectation of this family is that that when we have when we go to retreat, right, and our annual retreat, which we have for three years, that you also go to your retreat, that you change your schedule, that that you'd work something out, and you would retreat together as a body and 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 part of it too is is i mean of course not only you pray and these type of things right that you would engage in communal activity particularly during our 21 days of fasting it builds community it's designed for intentional unity in joel chapter 1 verse 14 joel cries out to the congregation to the israelites and he says consecrate a fast Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land and to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. If, 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 if you uh, really heard what Matt was trying to say uh, in his announcement, this is what he was trying to say. This is what he was saying. He, this is what he was calling us out to. He said it in a really nice way, Right? You know, he said, how was your day and all these kind of things, right? That Joel didn't have those greetings. But he just said, he says, consecrate a fast. Okay, that's happening right now. Proclaim a solemn assembly, a gathering. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land. In other words, the Israelites, the people of God, to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. That's what this Friday is about. It's a solemn assembly. We're gathering together, right? Call everyone, everyone together in this house to pray together as a body. It's community building, right? That's what you wanted, right? All right, amen. I read between the lines there. Samuel, I mean, this happened all through the scriptures. Samuel did it in Mizpah in 1 Samuel 7. Esther, right, did the same thing, called this a solemn assembly, called the people to a fast in Esther chapter 4. Nehemiah did it in Nehemiah chapter 9 as he called the whole nation of Israel to fast and seek the Lord, to be united in purpose to fight and to take a stand. That's what it's about. It's intentional community building, intentional unity. 
See, he placed, the Lord placed each one of us uniquely in this body, the local church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 18 says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Right? So guess what? You're not here on accident. Right? You're not here because we have such a great community, you know, because the preaching's okay. Right? The, the worship team is fantastic. and We're not here because it's, you're not here because it's, it's such a centralized location. You know, all these things. You're here because the Spirit of God desired that you would be here. You'd be here because the Spirit places you, right, and moves you into different places. And so you're here because the Lord wants you to be here. Right? This is, this is an act of God. Now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. It's important that you recognize that. Henry Blackaby, he says this, he says, Christians think their walk with God is independent of anyone else and they're not accountable to the church. See, a lot of us sometimes, uh, and, and there's an author, this, I forget which author it was, and so it's off the top of my head, but it says some people have overemphasized the priesthood of believers to the detriment of corporate identity. Again, Christian faith, you and God, right? Christian life, you and everybody else. And so sometimes when we so focus on the priesthood of, of believers, in other words, the individuality of the Christian, the personal side of our walk with God, we forget there's a corporate side. There's a communal aspect to this whole thing of, of everybody else in this way. And so really the 21-day fast is part of our corporate identity, this is who we are as a church, as Solomon's Porch. This is what we do, right? If this is your body, then this is what you do as part of that body. You join in. You join in with the leadership. You join in with the fellow brothers and sisters. And we do this together as a congregation, as a family of God. It's really simple. Again, if this is your body, if this is not your body, you don't have to join us. But you can join us. I think that would be fantastic. It would be really good for you, right? But if this is your body, then this is what we do as a part of that body. And you know, and to me, what is so astounding is we've had people, and we don't know how long you'll be here. Hong Kong is so transitory. You may be here, uh, you know, like me for 20, you know, over 20 years, you may be here for one year. Some of you may be here for four months or six months or whatever the case may be. God moves us into these different places. And it, it is it's so humbling for me. It's, it's so honoring, you know, when I think about this. And, and I'll meet people and I'll, I'll talk to people and people that have been part of our congregation. Some, you know, three months, some years. You know, and for whatever reason, they're part of the church. And they'll tell me, he says, hey, P. Sam, you know, I want you to know I fast with my family every January and join you guys. And some of these guys haven't been part of our church for 15 years. I, I, have, a, I have a guy, and he, he actually plays on my softball team. And he was part of our church, and I didn't even know he played softball. And so I didn't even ask him, and I know he's a good athlete. And so, but, uh, um, but one of our other guys who's on our team asked him to join our team. And, and so he, he got, you know, he was with us for a few years. He got married um, and, uh, and so his wife's uh, 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 more local, so they go to a Chinese church. Uh, but I, I was shocked one time 
And, uh, you know, or I play, I'm, you know, I'm fasting. I'm still playing, you know, on the team. But I guess this particular Saturday, I, I looked a little run down. And he, and he looked to me, and he says, hey, uh, he still calls me P. Sam, by the way, right? And he says, hey, P. Sam, hey, you, you're fasting, right? And I, I was shocked. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I am, you know. And, and, and he goes, me too. And he said, ever since even when he left SP, and this is over 10 years ago now, he says when he left SP, he says him and his brother, his brother in Canada, right, he's a Canadian guy, he says we fast every single year in January. And he says it's so good. It is so good. That's just, it, be, it, became, some, it became something he did to join the church, you know, part of our church. Now it became something that him and his brother do. And his brother's in Canada, you know, he's here in Hong Kong. And it's just something that they, they just bond together as brothers during this time. And when he told me, I, I, it was so good, right? There's people that are, are part of our community that's, you know, that's moved on and things. And they still, during this time, they fast. It's part of our corporate identity. It's part of, in many ways, who we are in this place. And it's such a, I mean, honestly, when I hear this, such a huge blessing uh, to hear that. I, my, my spirit gets lifted up in this way. Um, Abraham Lincoln, talking about corporate identity and doing things together in this way. Abraham Lincoln on March 30th, 1863, right in the middle of the Civil War, in the middle of the American Civil War, he proclaimed a day a national day for prayer and fasting. This is his quote. He says, Now therefore, in compliance with this, with the request, and fully concurring in the views of the Senate I do, by this my proclamation, designate and set apart Thursday the 30th of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. When I read things like this, I'm so proud to be an American. You know, I just, I'm just honest. But sadly now, if Biden were to do this, or, I mean, if, if, there would be a million lawsuits, right? And then that makes me sad now to be an American. But, I mean, this is such a, he says, and this is, he says, we, basically, what he was saying to the nation is, we are all suffering. We're all going through a difficult time. And we have done it to ourselves, we have caused this to happen upon ourselves. And so he calls the nation, let's go back to our corporate identity of humbling ourselves before God. And let's pray. And he says, I want everyone, everyone, I want you to go to your house of worship. I want to go to your home. I want to, and I love the way he says, I want you, right, to uh, lay aside your, your secular pursuits to seek after God in this day. He wanted to establish a corporate identity, something that they all did together because that's the only way it's going to work out if they do it together. Why do I fast? It's, it's part of just to build this corporate identity that we have. 
And the last one, you know, I mean, it's real simply, right? I mean, you know, I fast, we fast. I, I fast because I love my church. I love this house. See, there, there are dimensions of this glorious king that will never be revealed to the casual, disinterested worshiper. There are aspects of who God is. There, there are parts of his glory that, that God will not share with, the, with just the casual, disinterested follower. Right? There, 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 are, there are walls of intercession that will not be broken uh, until we, we, we break through these walls in this way. The strength to overcome some circumstances in our life will not just be won by being a nice person and going to church. Matthew 17, 21 says, But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There are situations that we'll be pressed with as a church. And this kind, he's talking about the devil, right? Demons, right? These kinds of demons does not go out except by prayer and fasting, right? I fast to strengthen my intercession. I fast to cause my prayers, as Arthur Wallace says, to mount up with wings like eagles. I fast to give me wisdom and strength and boldness to lead our churches, right? We fast simply because can't do this on my own strength. It's impossible, right? It's impossible, right? I, I mean, if you, if you look at, if you look at uh, the lens, right, this lens through my perspective, I think you'll understand a little bit more, right? I, I'm the senior pastor of this church. I also have oversight in a bunch of other churches uh, and, and all over the place, sometimes meeting in, in areas and places that are not friendly to the gospel at all, right? And I'm supposed to provide wisdom, right, to these leaders that are out in the battlefield. And, and, and while at the same time, you know, caring for this congregation uh, here in Hong Kong, and man, it's, it's not easy, right? You know, I don't have, I clearly don't have enough wisdom to do this. That's why I fast. I got to tap in something, that's greater than I. I, I got to find the, the, get to the rock that is higher than I, right? I also fast because I know that there's people in our church that are going through difficult times. Some of them uh, are battling serious, serious life-threatening illnesses and diseases. I know some of our congregation, their marriages are falling apart. I know that their kids are falling apart. Family members, people within this house are in bondage to all sorts of, of different things, right? Kids are going through all kinds of issues, right? There's loss that comes that's so deep in people's minds, right? That'd be unfathomable that anyone could go through it on a daily basis. And as a pastor, and when I talk to these members, listen, I mean, listen to my heart. I just want to say the right things. I don't want to say the wrong things. I want to say the right things. I want, I want to be able to express God's heart above all. I want to be able to speak in, in, in such a way that, 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 that tries to, to bring life. I, I, want, I, want, I want the right words to counsel 
that brings healing. <laughs> but many times, I don't have those words. And sometimes, those words don't exist. They don't. And all I know how to do is to pray and to fast and to strengthen that prayer through fasting. I know that my own prayers are just not enough. You know, I'm not the smartest man, but I'm smart enough to know my prayers are not enough. I need supernatural intercession. I need what Bill Bright, Bill Bright in his book on fasting, he says, fasting is the atomic bomb in our intercession to God. He says this is our, 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 our nuclear weapon when it comes to strengthening our prayers. That's what I need. I need supernatural intercession. I need to fast and pray. I need to seek God in this way. And, and the only reason, you know, and, and I know it could sound like it's, it's not because I want to be successful in ministry, none of these things. I fast because I love this church. I love this house, right? My wife and I, we came to Hong Kong, you know, over 20 years ago, you know, to build a church. I love this place. I know we went through a rough patch, but regardless, I love this place. And I love you as a member of this body. And this is why, ultimately, why I fast. Right? Let's close our eyes. This is normative Christianity. This is what God calls us to. <clears throat> now, during this time, if you've been doing your own thing, you're like, you were like, oh, peace, Sam, I didn't know it was like that. Well, it's like that. You still have a week to join us. Come out and pray together. We're studying through the book of Matthew. It's good to wake up a little early, to give God our first, and come and pray together as a body. Pray over the needs, the difficulties of our church. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today to teach us to sacrifice teach us to come humbly before the Lord and humble ourselves. Your prayer leader earlier called you out to come on Friday to pray together as a body, to trouble yourself. I know you'd rather be home. I would rather be home too. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. This is why we fast. This team leads us in a song. I just want you to talk to the Lord about your fast right now. Is it unto Him? Is it his fast or is it yours? And in it, are you just going through the motions? Is it dispassionate, heartless? 
Or is it with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul? Offer up our lives, Lord. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice. 
activities that do something deep in us you know honestly when I fast my heart just gets softer I can't explain it my wife tells me that when I read the Bible my tone gets soft she loves it when I read the Bible especially together as a family because my tone my demeanor everything just gets so soft gentler when I fast my heart gets softer certain things that we do that has a spiritual effect on our lives. This is one of them. Lord, we sang this song, What Can We Give? Lord, you deserve our everything. What can we give? What can we offer? Lord, all we have is our life and the activities of our life. So in this season, Lord, we want to give you our heart. We want to give you our life, God. Every season. 
And in this way, we want to give you this time of fasting. Lord, of the simple routine, the act of morning prayer, of coming before you, humbling ourselves, denying ourselves food or media or Facebook or whatever it is, just to spend time with you. Lord, we commit ourselves again this last week of the fast together as a body, as a family. We commit this time to you, God. Come and be pleased, Lord. Come and delight in your people. We thank you, Lord. Give us strength, God. We love you. We bless you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And to be gracious to the Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.